Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Today, I'm joined by dancer, artist, choreographer, Danny Terrell. Originally from Detroit, This dance artist, performer, choreographer, and dance educator danced with Jazz and Spirit Dance Theater of Detroit, Monroe Ballet Company, Detroit Windsor Dance Company, and Full Circle Dance Company. He was the founder and artistic director of Natural Locks Dance Company based in Detroit, Michigan. Danny has performed at Seattle International Festival of Dance, Gay City Arts, Bumper Shoot Velocity Dance Center Showcase, Showing Out Black Contemporary Choreographers, Northwest New Works Festival on the Boards, Seattle Art Museum, Erased, and as part of a Nights at the Neptune at the Neptune Theater, all in Seattle, Washington. He also performed in Portland at Risk Reward, in San Francisco at Black Choreographers Festival, in Los Angeles at Monticello Wakes at Loyola Marymount University, and Central District Forum Arts and Ideals. And he traveled to Austria as part of Young Tan's Summer. Currently, his work focuses on the queer, gender nonconforming, and Black experience. Danny also incorporates house, Vogue, whacking, and African diasporic movement in his artistic practice and work. He's a part-time lecturer in the dance department at the University of Washington. Danny's latest work, Black Boys, premiered recently in Seattle for a limited engagement. Black Boys is a movement and theater piece that explores how black men and boys grieve, show rage, express joy, and cry. He describes this dance piece created with original music by Benjamin Hunter and written word by J. Mace III as a ceremony to the ancestors and a thanksgiving to the past, present, and future. It's a love letter to bodies, spirits, and minds, and the story of our fathers, brothers, lovers, and friends. Danny, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? I am doing okay, Michelle, just in the midst of preparation for shows. (laughs) You know, Ed, when you were that kid here in Detroit, what Mm -hmm. drew you to dance? (laughs) Um, 
I tell Seattle people this and they don't understand what I'm saying, but Detroit people will understand. Um, the scene and the new dance show. Mm. So, yes, that's what you need to dance. Yes. Um, you know, we had Soul Train, we had all of that, and of course I love Soul Train, but it was something about knowing that um, seeing local dancers on TV dancing, and I used to imitate the dances that were done from the local people in Detroit. And so my parents were like, do you want to dance? And I didn't fully understand what they meant by that. I just said yes. So they enrolled me in my first dance class, which was, I think, a jazz class. Yeah. So that wow. got me started, watching those TV shows. So as soon as you said scene, I mean, you can, you can see them, them dancing. And I can recall how people would say, like, if you went down Jefferson at a certain time of day, People would be lined up waiting to go in there and yes. dance on the scene. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, when your parents said, you know, do you want to dance? And then they were enrolled you in a class. When you went into that class, were you expecting it to be like on the scene? Or what was that like? Um, I, I was just open. I wasn't, I just wanted to move my body. I knew dance was involved. Um, and so I had no expectations of what it mm-hmm. would look like or what it would be like. I just knew I wanted to move my body. And so um, I went in there very open, and I went in there extremely excited about what I was learning. Nervous, of course, but also really excited because I finally got to discover what this formal training of dance meant. Now, you're African-American. We're here in Detroit. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I mean – your parents enrolled you into a dance class. What did the kids mm-hmm. in, the, in the block say? Or were they not surprised that you went into this? Ooh, I don't think anything was said at that point in time because not too many people knew. Um, and so once I got to, like, high school and junior high, people knew I could dance, so that wasn't an issue Mm-hmm. because I was a dancer. So if you could dance, you were fine. Um, I remember doing a, a play in high school, and people saw the other side of me dancing, and I think that's where I got the most flack, mm-hmm. because that incorporated more of my ballet training and, and uh, more of my jazz training. So it was just like, oh, you know, that's when, like, the word gay – in that sense, came into being, and people a little bit more harassment. Not a lot, but just a little bit more harassment because it wasn't just me picking up the dances that were done in the street, the popular dances, the party dances. It was like now I have a formal training in dance, and I'm putting this in front of my peers, and it was terrifying, and I got a little bit of harassment. But other than that, that was really it. I was never harassed about my dancing as much mm-hmm. as I was harassed just about walking every day being a feminine person, which mm-hmm. is weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. As a kid, okay, because I can recall like the first time seeing like Elvin Ailey or the mm-hmm. Dance Theater of Harlem, and there were our people up there on the mm-hmm. stage, and it was just like it like blew me away to see that the poetry, the beauty that came through their dance. Did right. you have a similar experience? Yes. I, I, I tell people this all the time. My, my dad was super awesome. Um, 
he is the one that took me to all of these places. Wow. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, really unusual. Um, but my dad would, he would be the only father, the only black father at my dance recitals. Um, and my mom would be there too, but just remember having those experiences, like my dad and I went on dates to go see Alvin Ailey, and it was just mm-hmm. he and I. So mm-hmm. I had that experience of like seeing these beautiful black folks on stage and wanting to achieve that. And also this experience, which it didn't hit me till later on in life, that I had this black man who was my father there with me and not ashamed to be there with me. And it was just he and I. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Did you two ever talk about that? You know, like what, that he recognized that you had dance in you and that, you know, he made sure you were, it was accessible to you to see these images? We talk about it like, he, we talk about it now that I, I have a career in dance. Um, and I think my, my parents just knew that that is what I wanted to do, so they wanted to make sure that I was exposed to it. And so it was part of, of their charge as parents, I think. Um, I can't really speak for them, but to make sure that when Ailey came to town or it was dance that I needed to do, that my parents made sure that it was accessible for me. Um, without question. And it was, it's, it's five of us siblings, and so um, four of us lived in the house with both my parents. They tried to make sure that the things that we did was accessible to us, whatever our interests were. So mm-hmm. mine happened to be dance, so my parents both were like, okay, how are you getting a dance class? Who's taking a dance class? Ailey's coming to town. We knew that Ailey, Alvin Ailey coming to town was me and my father's thing, so my mother never, you know, interrupted mm-hmm. that. It was like, that's me and my dad's thing. And so um, he was just there and enjoying it just as much as I did. It wasn't a labor for him to go. It wasn't like, okay, I'm taking you. Like, we had such a great time together witnessing that thing on stage. Yeah. My head is off to him, you know, because (laughs) I know, really, I mean, I know that my mother made sure we went to the symphony, we went to do all that. But I can recall, you know, I wanted to play the harp and the symphony Uh and my father asked me you know like well what did that mean did I want to grow up and be an angel (laughs) you know and so to him that expense and a harp it was just like you know you want to do that that's not going to happen so I mean my head is off to to your dad (laughs) for taking it because my mother sort of got it I never got those harp lessons but you know my mother got it but my dad it was like you know no, you need to, you know, study this so you can go get a job and do that. Right. Where right. did you go to high school? Um, I went to Wayne Memorial High School. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. So I grew up in, in Eastern Michigan. I went to Wayne Memorial High School. Um, yeah, that was my upbringing. Oh, oh. You know, I mean, I mean that's interesting because I, know I had read that, you know, and most of the time when you see, Black people who are in the arts here, they went to, what is that, the School for Performing Arts? Maybe they went to CAS. CSA so, or CAS or King, yeah. yes. Yeah, but here you are out there in Wayne Memorial. So right. did they have a big arts program, or did most of your dancing come outside of school? All of my dancing came out of, outside of school. There was not a big arts mm-hmm. program. Like We had choir, we had drama club, and um, I was involved with some of those things, but Dance was also, I did that outside of school. I did it in mostly white-led institutions. Um, mm-hmm. So 
not until I became an adult um, and probably my college years, I realized, like, there was black dancers in Detroit. Because mm. mm-hmm. um, I never went to Detroit to dance in that way of, like, formal training. It was always in white institutions. So um, I will confess that I had a bit of an attitude because I thought, <laughs> you know, we, we tend to think white is better. So I came from these mm-hmm. white institutions, so my training was better which was a lie, you know, definitely a lie. Um, and I had to um, get humbled by a few people several times, you know, mm-hmm. about the lie. Were you able to hold on to that scene spirit when you were in these spaces, you know, here it's predominantly white, even though you're learning all of this, but you had initially been inspired by the scene. So were you able mm-hmm. to bring a little funk into it or did they – you know, or did you have to hold on that and rediscover that later on? I don't ever remember having to not be my full self in dance class mm-hmm. um, in these white institutions. And it was very different then. Like, I had a white teacher, Miss Lori was her name, and she was just funky herself. <laughs> she was my jazz teacher. Uh-huh. So she, she never told me to not be and not do. I remember... And I forgot exactly where I was at. Um, I was taking class somewhere, and someone mentioned something about dancing too big. And so I remember at that point in time, that made me, like, dance smaller and not eat up so much space. And then later on, I went somewhere else, and they was like, you need to eat up space. So Mm. at that point in time, I was like, I need to take up space and eat up space as a dancer. So I remember, like, Miss Lori never told me to not do something. But I can't even remember the incident, but that was an incident that made an impression that I was, like, dancing too big and taking up too much space. And it was, of course, with a bunch of white dancers. Um, and so that, that really put a hamper on what I was doing until someone else was like, no, you actually need to dance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Do what you're supposed to do. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can see that if you have it in you and, and the mm-hmm. music is moving you to to try to – not dance big to like sort of hold it in, you know, right. it's like denying what's happening, you know, what you're feeling. Exactly. Uh-huh. So when you graduated, do you went on and studied dance? And I see that you were involved. I mean, you performed, you were many places around here. Mm-hmm. In fact, the Detroit Windsor Dance Company, I think that mm-hmm. it was late when I heard about them. You know, I mean, I didn't realize that they, they even existed till one day somebody mentioned it and I went and saw them. But um, yeah. for the dancer in you, did you, were you happy to find these things locally or did you ever have that thing where I know I've talked to a lot of people who are artists, performers, and they just knew that, you know, they couldn't find the outlets here in Detroit, and they just sort of said, you know, I've got to leave. That's both. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was was happy to find it there. At Detroit, when I actually was a teacher, I I wasn't a part of the company. I was a teacher Mm -hmm. there. Um, And that was a very strong um, part of my life, Um, being able to teach um, dance and pass down what I learned was extremely important for me at that point in time, and I wasn't even really dancing that much. Um, and I was satisfied with teaching at that point in time. I was with the local dance company, Jazz and Spirit, and I was satisfied with what we were doing at that point in time. But I also 
have this inkling to want to choreograph and create my own dances even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then still not fully understanding what that meant for myself. Wanting to search out other outlets to be like, what does it mean? And that's when I started my own dance company. And even then, like, it, that fumbled a lot. I fumbled a lot in that process because it's just things I just didn't know. But knowing I wanted to create and wanted to, like, come up with my own dances and have a group of people that I'm teaching those dances to. And are you talking about then the Natural Locks Dance Company? Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. When you went into it, did you want to, to bring dance back to your community? Did you want to look for the little Dannys, the little kids in the African-American community or in other communities of color who might have that in them but not really see that avenue or been told to, like, not be dance big, you know, mm-hmm. that there, there is no, did you want to do them or were you just, did you just want to share your love of dance with whoever, one, whoever showed up? That's another thing that it was both. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to share my love with adults who wanted to dance and there was no real big outlets for adults who wanted to dance and had dance training. And also I, want to, wanted to, and still do, want to make sure that black children know what is possible. Because once again, the arts, unless you achieve something that at times you have to sacrifice so much, you don't think it's achievable. Mm -hmm. So you just don't do it. Mm -hmm. And knowing what dance has done for me, um, I want to make sure that I continue to share that with black children and adults and people um, with all of their, their traumas and, and intersections. I want to make sure that dance is accessible to them. And I still hold on to that today. You know, the Ruth Ellison and I go over there and, you know, yes. and the kids are upstairs and they're dancing and they're expressing it. And there was, I was talking to two people and one person, it was like, oh yeah, they're dancing. It's cute. They're having so much fun. And then another adult and one of the youth were saying, you know, what they got from dancing, not mm-hmm. just being able to express themselves, but areas where they felt confident. And, you know, but then they were right. able to take that into other areas of their life. Did you ever right. experience that where, you know, as you're, or, or have to deal with that where people think, the dance always just having fun, but not recognizing it as a way of expression and how some of those skills can carry over into other things in life. All the time. And I used to work at the Youth Ella Center many, many years ago. I know. So I know mm-hmm. exactly what you're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. I, um, I think at times still to, to this day, people don't understand what can happen in dance. Once again, dance is the thing where if you are not on tour with an international artist, if you are not with an Alvin Ailey or Dancer of Harlem, a big company, people are just like you're wasting your time and not understanding that, you know, you can do local things and dance, um, at least in Seattle, and you Mm -hmm. can make a decent living from it. Um, I work pretty much seven days a week at times, 12 to 14 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just with dance. Mm-hmm. So wow. it's not, it's not mm-hmm. all play. 
It's not mm-hmm. all I just get in the studio and tumble around. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of computer work. There's a lot of making sure financially that you are able to make your bills because this dance check hasn't come in and you have to make sure this happens. There's a lot of if you're working with a group of people, making sure that they have the information that they need in order to be successful. Um, there's things down to costuming, to music, to you're getting mm-hmm. in the theater. You're talking about lights. You're talking about production. You're, I had at least five meetings a week. That's the, that's the minimum. And mm-hmm. sometimes two or three meetings a day, depending on what I'm trying to do. So it's, it's the thing where people think, like, you just don't, you, you know, you're just in a studio dancing, but it's so many other things than that. Um, and, yeah, I still get that, and I try to dispel that, that information. It's a lie. You know, dancers work hard. Dancers have to be super intelligent. Dancers are smart. <laughs> you know, we have mm-hmm, to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because there's so many things, just as artists, artists have to be smart because there's so many things that we have to juggle um, business-wise in our art. If not, we're going to get screwed over. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that that's it too, you know, to, to, like you said, that part about you have to be smart. You have to know what you're doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. there are the physical parts of it, but there's all these other things. And as you think about it, and especially if you're sincere and you want to do this, that you have to think about. And, you know, yeah. and I thought that it was, it was like so good that not only as someone was sort of like, you know, like, oh, and they just like to have some, that not only that the young people got it, but an someone else who was in a, a position to do it said, wait a minute, you know, and also right. this isn't just about entertaining it. This is what they do for their, their life, you know, and this is what right. they're interested in doing and, and doing it. So, you know, before we really go into Seattle good, I'm going to ask you, how hard was it for you to leave here and go to Seattle and, what do you miss? <laughs> at the time, we knew we needed to leave Seattle. And I think we, um, at the point in time, he was my partner, um, mm-hmm. Marlon, and mm-hmm. now he's my husband. Um, we've been mm-hmm. together for 14 years. Mm-hmm. Four, yes, 14 years. Um, we knew that we needed to leave Michigan in order to survive. Dance was a passion of mine. I was not getting paid to dance. It was a passion of mine. I was working crazy odd jobs. Um, he's an IT person, and the work just wasn't coming. I will say Seattle chose us. We didn't choose Seattle because mm-hmm. of how everything happened. It happened so fast. We went excited, and he left way before I did. We've been in Seattle for 10 years now. He left way wow. before I did. Yeah, it's been 10 years. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I, it's amazing. <laughs> it's been 10 years. You're right. Yes. You know, when I think it's about been, it, yeah, it has been. Yes. The last time I saw you, yes, it was like 10 years ago. Um, and so we went very excited. We got here in the reality that Seattle was extremely white set in, and I miss my family so much because um, it was he and I. We didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. We didn't have those connections yet as far as like a good group of friends. And I'm, I'm so close to my family, my siblings and my parents um, and other members of my family. And all of my close friends were still there. So we, know we, we knew we needed to make the transition, but coming out here was extremely hard because 
you know, I tell people in Seattle this all the time. I was like, in Detroit, I knew I was black. Great. Mm-hmm. There's other black people around you. But in Seattle, I had to be like black, 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 black on a whole other level. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that's even with black folks. Like, it was just, it was so strange and so different. And I was finding myself going back to Michigan at least two to three times a year for the first, like, four or five years living out here. Mm-hmm. Um, I miss, and I still miss the community in Michigan. I hear people say, Detroit's so bad. I was like, you need to know Detroit people. I was like, those are some ride or die people that will have your back no matter what. And I've had several friends go to Detroit from here, and they're like, Detroit people are cool. I was like, I know. And then they say, (laughs) now we understand you so much more and why you do the things that you do. And I'm like, because community was important to us. Connection was important to us. Um, There was no – you didn't really know a stranger in Detroit. You spoke to people. You said hello, and Mm -hmm. you just kept on pushing you had conversations with people that you didn't know, and it was just that. It was this idea of, like, I see you. And in Seattle, a lot of people, including myself, we walk around so invisible within our own communities. So those are the things that I miss about Detroit and, and just the, pe- the people, I said it, mm-hmm. the people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yes. you know, you're a creative type. I'm a creative type. How important is it to have that support of someone who gets that, you know, you had to dance. You had to dance. And and that, mm-hmm. that complete level of support. Because I've been, you know, with in relationships where someone didn't get it. And it was sort right. of like, why do you have to write? You know, why do you want to, why do you yeah. have to get up there on that stage and do that? But you found... It's on, well, I know you found the perfect partner to really, really create and feel off of that. When you go out to the club, who dances mm-hmm. better? That is so funny. <laughs> he, <laughs> he's going to kill me. <laughs> he normally sits down. It's so funny. We go out and people are surprised that he actually can dance. I'm mm-hmm. not. I know that he can dance. He just doesn't. And, mm-hmm. and when I go out, like, I don't dance to, like, I'm going to show up. Like, I dance because it's, like, I'm not, I'm not getting paid. This is not work. This is me releasing. Dance is my release. Dance is my therapy. Dance is my church. Dance is where I find my God. Um, and so we would be on opposite sides of the club, like, dancing. And people would be like, oh, my God, Mr. B is dancing. I didn't know. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, so it's like it's, it's a few times that we'll dance together, but because we are so opposite in how we do things, like we just check in, look at each other across the room if we're at a club, and we're like, okay, you good, you good. Um, and then I, because I'm such a – we're both very social people, but because mm-hmm. of what I do, I'm so much in the public eye here in Seattle that he's just like, oh, you good. And he'll go sit down and, like, play the game on his phone and um, – if he gets up and dance, it's just like that's what he does. But he can dance, you know. All right, he do his two right. steps. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you? Oh, we love you, Marlon. You know, we love you. <laughs> yes, you know. yes, oh, yes. Oh, oh, oh. Well, we're gonna yeah, we're gonna take our first break here. And okay. if you're just joining me, we're talking to artist 
dance artist, performer, choreographer, Danny Terrell. And we will be right back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back with Danny Terrell. So, I mean, it seems like you hit Seattle and you've been dancing, I mean, just by, you know, when I was reading through all the places that you danced, not just in Seattle, Mm -hmm. but you've been to LA, you went to Austria. I mean, you have been dancing, you've been dancing your dancing shoes off. (laughs) How, How did you end up going to Austria? Um, so a friend of mine that we were on tour together, he started working for this company and he, um, and they're based out of Houston and what they do is they get artists, youth artists from United States to go to Austria and they do this summer dance festival. And so he was like, I know you work with kids. Why don't you all think about coming? And so that's how it happened. We went. Um, I took a group of kids that I was teaching at the time, and we just had a great time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Austria was good. <laughs> and all these everything. So you said you were talking about, I mean, you got there, and mm-hmm. it looks like there was just like a lot of opportunities. Where Were you able to really find your niche and do what you've been dreaming of all those years? <laughs> oh no, it was not that easy in Seattle. No, I wish it was that easy. Um, so coming from Detroit and being around dancers that are predominantly black, we have an aesthetic. Okay, I'm coming to Seattle and one surprised at the fact that it's like, oh, these are all adult dancers because mostly in Detroit we cater to the youth um, as Mm -hmm. far as dance goes. Excuse me, sorry. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking too fast. Um, (laughs) So coming to Seattle, it was like, oh, there's places for adults to dance. Great. I hadn't really danced in a while. I have been teaching. I'm trying to get back into it coming into Seattle. Um, And what I realized, once again, now in Seattle, there was very few to little places where black folks can come and dance all together. Um, before I moved here, there was more places, but once I got here, there wasn't. So I started going to these dance uh, studios and institutions, and they were, once again, all white. Mm-hmm. So I'm taking the classes that, I, you know, I'm interested in, but I wasn't really connecting to a lot of the material because I'm like, uh, this isn't how I move. When I started creating work out here, I'm creating work based on the aesthetic that I grew up in 
And people were like, well, we really don't connect to your aesthetic. Um, we really don't understand what you're trying to say. We really don't understand your movement. And it was pretty much, I'm a black dancer doing black stuff that white folks wasn't really juggling with at that point in time. And so I started to try to create words that I think that would get me the attention. Once again, it still wasn't working because I wasn't being my authentic self. Mm-hmm. And then I said, to hell with all of this. I'm just going to do what it is that I want to do. And that's when I started really getting the work and getting the attention. And also I was very vocal about what wasn't right. Mm-hmm. Um, I was asking a lot of institutions questions like, oh, you say you want more people to look like me, but you're not offering anything for that to happen. Um, I began teaching at um, a dance studio out here at that point in time, North Top Connection, where the owner was black and all of the teachers were black and majority of the students were black. And at that point in time, that was the only, not the only black-owned studio, but the only studio where everybody, owner and staff, was black. We had, black, we had like one other black-owned studio, but they had staff that was not all black. Um, and so I found my place, I found my home there because I was like, okay, this is what I'm used to, aesthetic-wise, everything. But um, as a solo dancer, artist, it was rough. It was difficult. Um, well, you know, when you think of, when I think of Seattle, and, and you know, and <laughs> dance, when you think of dance, you think of music. Okay. Right. Here, it's Motown. It's, it's mm-hmm. soul. Seattle, you think like Nirvana. You know what I mean? Yeah, grunge. Yeah, grunge so, I mean, so yeah. I could see where, you know, you come out there and you're bringing the soul, bringing the funk, that it, that it would be kind of not what they were looking for. Or, or did they even have an appreciation of a difference in the music? When it comes to black music and stuff, everyone appreciates that. Everyone tries to use it in some form, shape or form. There was a mm-hmm. point in time in Seattle dancing that it was very soulful. And, and you watch a dance center was here, and they were bringing in tons of black artists. So, it wasn't like it wasn't here. It just got lost. It, you know, it, it started to phase out, and more white dance institutions started to take more ground. And um, where they appreciated blackness, they appreciated it if we flew it in. Mm. Like, we can bring you in, but if you're here, then we need to make you look and be a certain way if you're acceptable. So when I came out here, there was, um, and still is, there's Donald Byrd, who, Donald Byrd um, is a black choreographer. Um, he choreographed Color Purple uh, on Broadway. Mm-hmm. He has Spectrum Dance Theater, so he was doing his thing, and just a brilliant mind and brilliant choreographer. Um, there was Marquise Wiley, who we are friends, and there was Cabby Mitchell, and Cabby passed away last year. Um, so we were like the four black folks, so no black women, no real strong black women creating work. I'm new, Marquis just graduating from college. Um, Donald Bird has spectrum. Donald Bird has tons of awards doing his thing, and Caddy danced all over the place doing his thing. So there was four of us, but we all were doing different work. And so I think in, in this world, there can only be one if you are a person of color. If you are black, there can only be one, maybe two. Mm. So coming out here, there was 
already the one, the two, mm-hmm. the three, there was not room for a fourth person. And it had so, nothing to do with us. It had to do uh-huh. with the landscape. So how did you make your, your way? How did you expand that? Um, once again, doing what the hell I wanted to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, that's really, it sounds so simple, but doing what I wanted to do, started to understand what was my voice and what was important to me, um, started creating work about, around questions that I had about myself and my identity. Um, and being vocal with these institutions about why am I coming here and you want me to be a part of it, but everybody that you put on stage is white and of a certain aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Or there are people of color on stage, but you're flying them in, or there are people of color that are doing the aesthetic that, please, that pleases you. It doesn't make sense to me because that's not the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, because it sort of sounds like, you know, they bring people in to entertain, you know, and then mm-hmm. they fly you out, you know. Yes. You know, yes. That's, uh, that's the part that's sort of like, I could see where that would be like frustrating, but then also right. like saying, well, I'm not in here just to entertain you. This is what right. I do. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the other choreographers that were here, the ones that I mentioned previously, like they were doing very important work and they're doing great work. And once again, they were established um, in this city and becoming established. I was new, and out of the four of us at that point in time, we were all just had different things to say and how we said things. Um, and so Seattle is a place where it's just like we have the people that we are dealing with, and so mm-hmm. we are good. And you have to truly prove yourself in order to – you know, get the approval of the powers that be. That's, and that's any place. That's not just Seattle. There's a bunch of places like that. Um, so I guess I proved myself. I really don't know. I really don't care. I just am very vocal. Mm-hmm. And I so think what, my – go ahead. No, no, finish. Finish what you were saying. I, I'm gonna say, I think what I had to say and what I was challenging – became more important than the actual work that I was creating. So that also made people stand up and pay attention in a very different way. Well, you know, all of you sort of like came together in a way for showing out contemporary black choreographers. Mm-hmm. How, did, how was that? You know, I mean, like you each had your own way of expressing, but then it was almost like you were, like you said, you were all going to show, we're doing, this is what we do. We're not coming in to just entertain you. We're showing out, right. we're showing what we do. How did that come together? Um, so there's a, an art institution out here called the Central District Forum of Arts and Ideas, and it's a black mm-hmm. art institution. And at that point in time, um, and she still is the executive director of Sharon Williams, and Donald Burt was having a conversation about presenting a festival with just black choreographers. And mm-hmm. who are the black choreographers in the city? So Donald Burt curated um, showing out. It was myself, Marquise, um, Sadiqa Aman, Jade Solomon Curtis, and Alex Crozier. We were the five choreographers that were presented in this work. It was 
two of them dance for Spectrum, so they were um, it would in Donald Bird's company Spectrum. Um, three of us, um, Marquise and I knew of each other. We really wasn't that close at that time. We knew of each other, and Sadiqa was new to the city. So we came together, and it was good. It was very powerful because, once again, we had five different voices. And I did pretty much the opposite of what everyone else did. I did not dance on stage mm. at the first one. I presented my youth company. I had a youth company of nine girls, and they were all girls of color. Um, they were all black girls at that point in time. And I was like, this is the work that I want to present. And they were just like, you want to present kids on stage? I was like, yeah. And Donald came and saw the work, and he was really impressed with the work. He was impressed with the professionalism of these girls, and they were in the show with these adults. Mm-hmm. And they held their own. I'm like, I don't want to dance. Like, I have nothing that I want to present at this point in time as far as a dancer goes. I'll present these kids because they're dope. Um, and so, and then they got to gel and vibe with the other choreographers and adult dancers. So it was good. I think we all were just in our own heads and in our own spaces trying to create work, getting to know each other in the process because none of us knew each other. Um, so that was the first showing out, and we did a second iteration of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and both iterations had sold-out shows, and the second one was even more powerful because, once again, there was a few of us that established relationships with each other. Um, I, was, I was not only a choreographer at that point in time, I was performing my own solo work, and I was production manager. <laughs> so I was kind of all over the place with that particular work. But we had three sold-out shows inside of this white institution. The first one we did at Spectrum. The second one we did was um, inside of this white institution. And we had three sold-out shows, predominantly black audiences. And it was still one of the most talked-about performances um, since I've been here in Seattle. We all had clear voices. We all were much more mature. We all had things that we needed to say. And because we had relationships with each other, and that was like maybe a year and two years span in between both of them, we were stronger together backstage. Mm-hmm. Um, we were more supportive of each other. Um, so, yeah, that, those were the differences between those shows, but they were both, both very powerful shows. And now we're going to do a third iteration of that. <laughs> wow, so, awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I'm the curator this time, so Donald Byrd mm-hmm. has passed the torch. So now it's up to me mm-hmm. to pick the next dope artist. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, you know, what you talk about your work focuses on queer and gender nonconforming mm-hmm. and the black experience. A couple weeks ago, I talked to Solomon Arnold, who is mm-hmm. into the ball culture. In fact, he's the icon mother of the house infinity. And mm-hmm. I know that when they do balls, like it's, it's more than just dance. It's about costuming and doing, right. you know, it's just like huge. Well, you know the ball culture. Right. And I know that you incorporate house, vogue, and, and wacky. But do you, do you go and you look at things that are happening, like in the ball culture, and some of the things that people are doing that it's new? Do you ever, like, you know, go back into, like, dip your, your foot in there to sort of see, well, what, what's up, what's happening, and how do I incorporate that? And also to, that it is part of 
the queer gender nonconforming experience, particularly mm-hmm. in the black and Latino communities? Right. Um, because I'm so busy, I don't really get a chance to go and just just be with people and be in the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I, do, I, I do a lot of research online and things like that, but also a lot of my work is centered in my relationship with one of my grandmothers. It's mm-hmm. also re- centered in the relationship of my queerness and my blackness growing up in Detroit when the first iterations of going to the clubs and seeing the queens and the queens knew that you could dance when you were younger and they tell you get on the floor and you need to dance. Mm-hmm. Um, and how they helped mother and shepherd that inside of me of like, no, you don't sit back in the corner and dance. You actually get yourself in the middle of the circle and you dance. So I, I use that as a lot of inspiration um, mm-hmm. that's important to me because I don't ever want to erase that history because mm-hmm. um, it means so much to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't, I love what's happening now with, with dance and Vogue, but mm-hmm. once again, I'm an older, I'm an older artist. My body doesn't move <laughs> a certain way and it's, it's the truth. And I have nothing to prove in that way. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't have to keep up with a 20-year-old. I've done my time. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I'm going to create to where I'm at and to my ability and my body right now. And if I want to create something different, you hire younger people that are able to do that. And mm-hmm. you choreograph on them. Mm-hmm. So when, when you have a young person that's coming in to, to work with you, do you ever have to help them refine, like their house vogue, or, or you know, or do you, or do you talk to them about, you know, or if you see them and they are trying to make their queerness small in their dance, because often maybe they have heard all along, you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately, you know that there's a stereotype, there's a. a people who are queer have been bullied, you know, if they wanted right. to. So do you ever find that, that in telling your story and doing your performance, that there's a way that you're able to help them realize, like you said, that, you know, you are okay and you are doing you and what you are doing as you is what's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so weird to talk about this because I don't like patting myself on the back. But I realize now when I teach, people mm-hmm. have so much stuff, so much junk, and not just kids, mm. adults. Um, we have so much trauma that we're dealing with and how, we t- how we're told we're supposed to walk in this world. And um, what I try to do, <laughs> they come to me for the steps but they leave out, hopefully, understanding who they are as a person because the steps are not important. Mm-hmm. What's important is that they tell their truth through this art form. No one can take away your truth. People can lie about you. People can say whatever they want to say, but your truth is your truth. 
No one can take that away, especially when you move your body. You hold all your truth in your body. So however that comes out on the dance floor, um, that is what I try to work with. Mm-hmm. I tell people, be scared, be afraid, be embarrassed. Don't feel all of those things. I just need you to, one, be loved and to be seen. We do a lot of things in cycles and circles and dance where one person gets in the middle and they dance. And I tell people, I just need you to walk in. You can point your fingers like you are uh, John Travolta and staying alive. Mm. And then, then you walk out of the circle. You can walk in a circle and wave. It is not about the steps. One, I want you to be seen because we walk through life not being seen. Mm-hmm. We walk through life not allowing people to support us or love us. So for me, that cipher and that circle and those classes is about that. If you learn a step, that's great. But I want you to learn to walk a little taller, a little bit more prouder. I want you to understand who you are and to be able to question everything with confidence. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's less about is your foot pointed correctly are you doing the turn correctly? Is this position correctly? It's about how emotionally are you attached to the work? Why are you detached from your pelvis? Why are you detached from your heart? Why are you just living in your head? Because dance lives through your entire body, especially your pelvis. Mm-hmm. So that's my philosophy. Mm-hmm. After you've performed, and I know I've done that, you know, like where, Maybe I've been someplace and I'm, I've done some poetry or something to where, mm-hmm. you know, I am unapologetically not only black female but queer. And right. later you have somebody who sort of comes up and who has been moved or has seen themselves or saw something. Have you ever had, like, someone in seeing you dance that later after on they say, you know, you got it, you got me. You got how I I see Mm. myself as a queer person. (laughs) All the time. Mm. Um, Uh It's funny funny thing. um, There's a park out here called Seward Park, and it's this huge park, and and Marlon and I and a friend of ours, we were walking around the park. So I'm like, there's Danny Terrell and then there's Danny Long. So I was like Danny Long mm-hmm. that day. I was like dressed mm-hmm. bummy. I was like, nah, I'm just like, I'm just walking around the park. It's early Saturday morning. And so Marla and I see this woman and we know the look instantly. And I was like, oh, shoot. And Marla was like, it's about to happen. I was like, yes. So she was with her mother and her father and her baby. So she runs up to me. She's like, oh, my God, I just want you to know I follow everything that you do, and you're so inspiring, and thank you for doing what you do. And then she runs back. And the friend that was with us just kind of looked at us, and I was like, it happens all the time. And we just kind of bust out laughing because Marlon and I know, like, we know the stance, we know the look, we know what's about to happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I get that so often. Someone just the other day, I'm in the grocery store, and it's actually the cashier. And the cashier and I talk all the time, but I don't really say what I do. And so the cashier um, was like, are you on the side of a building? I was like, yes. Are you a performer? Uh Yes, I am. And so we had that conversation. So it just, it hits at such random times. Like sometimes my friends don't like going out with me because they're like, you talk to everybody. Everyone stops you. 
Mm-hmm. And I was just like, it's just what I do. You know, I had some friends who, like, they knew what I did, but they actually didn't really know, so they just knew me as Danny. And so they mm-hmm. started hanging out more, and they was like, are you famous? I was like, no, because we would just stop every single time we uh-huh. hung out. And I was like, you're my friends because you don't know that other life. <laughs> I was like, that's why you're my mm-hmm. friends. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no expectation. So, yeah, it happens all the time. Uh-huh. Uh, and isn't it kind of weird because it's like, you know, you're just doing yes. you. But then at the other point, it, it kind of feels good because, you know, there's that young kid who or that parent who suddenly is going to look at their gay child and go like, well, you know, hey, he, he made it. He's okay, you know. Right. So it, it's really, it's kind of good. But you know what? But that is like really a good segue into, mm-hmm. I want to talk about black boys. But before we get into black boys, we're going to take a quick yeah. break. Yeah. And then we will be right back. I am talking with yeah. Danny Terrell. And you're listening to Collections by Michelle Brown. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back with Danny Terrell. Danny, I went to the site you sent me and that picture of black boys. <laughs> and yeah. you know, and we know that black queer youth look all kinds of ways. And yeah. but the fact that you're talking about how we grieve, show rage, express joy, cry and in that picture, is that Jay Mace in that picture? Yes, it is. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was looking yes. at it like, it's like Jay Mace. And, it, and it's so, I mean, and, and I look at this and I see all of these different expressions of black, yes. queer, young men and boys. How did you, well, what brought you to black boys and tell me about this? Yes. Well, I must say, because everyone assumes this, not everybody in the, in the cast is queer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and we don't, I purposely, it's, it's really interesting. I purposely this time around did not make a piece talking about being queer. Um, we do touch on it. Like, so it's not, it's, it's, it's definitely a part of, of the experience, but it's not the entire experience. And so, it's always funny when people are like, okay, what is this piece about? It's, I came upon this piece because I, there were other things that was going on. The, the thing that really started, there were two different things. Khalif Broder, um, 
and people know the story of him. He was um, sent to Rikers Island at 16 for mm-hmm. a crime that he did not commit. Um, he got out of jail at 21, 22. He wound up killing himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really got me thinking of the things we don't talk about as far as trauma goes. Um, within our community, we don't talk about black suicide. We don't talk about any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that black people commit suicide. Mm-hmm. We're very clear on that. We do not talk about that at all. So um, that was one of the that was one of the thoughts of like you know what, and then Don Cornelius had killed himself, and it was another mm-hmm. black actor that killed himself, and I cannot think of his name. Um, so I was just looking I at know like you talked about too. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was a young young guy, yeah. really promising career. And he was in Rizzoli um, and Isle. Yes, that was it. I cannot think of his name. I know. Yes. I know. Uh huh. But um, so I I kept I was thinking about that. I was like, okay, so what makes you want to kill yourself? Confession is like I understand that thought because I wanted to do that myself. Um. I, I, I remember very vividly wanting to take my own life. So understanding that, but what was the follow through? What made me not follow through with it and what made them follow through with it? So thinking about that, I started thinking about um, different ways that black bodies die in the United States, especially mm-hmm. male bodies. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just like through police brutality. Um, it was through suicide. It was through being told that you are worthless, you are nothing your entire life. Um, I started thinking about just violence against black bodies, period, with no gender attached to it. So we know there's a lot of black trans women that, that are killed and murdered. Um, there were several um, in Detroit. Um, mm-hmm. And so, once again, it got me thinking of, like, you know, how are are we talking about how other ways black bodies die in this country, not just through the ones that are publicized on the media for trauma porn? Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't interested in doing trauma porn. Um, and then, so thinking about that, I was thinking about my father and my brother and how um, resilient those two people are. And, um, and the fact that, you know, my father raising a, 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 a gay son, a queer child, and there's no handbook. There's no handbook on being a parent, period. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no handbook on being a parent to a black child. And then there's no handbook on being a parent to a black child who's also gay. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. I'm like, what did my father go through? What was my father going through? What, you know, I, I started thinking about that. And I, was, I started to think about his life and just the things that he had to go through in his life growing up in Detroit. I'm thinking about my brother and, you know, how, to me, he's like super dad. <laughs> my brother uh-huh. is like the best father in the world. For me, that is who my bro- what my brother represents. Um, you know, when I was reading it, and you talked about how you show rage, um, you know, mm-hmm. I had talked to Tim M. West, and he does poetry, he also does hip-hop, but he's also an educator. 
And mm-hmm. he was saying that in one of his classes, and he was talking about poetry and hip-hop, and there was mm-hmm. a young guy who, a young black man, young black guy, um, who wasn't gay, but they were talking about hip-hop. And, and he was saying right. how all hip-hop wasn't poetry, but some of it, some of it had a message. And he said that the young fellow right. told him, he said, he said he appreciated that. He said, but sometimes he needed to listen to trap music because he had an anger and energy right. about what was going on and something about the trap music sort of captured that and, and helped him have a way to work off this anger. And when you right. talked about how in your piece, how it explores how black men and boys show rage, it was like this guy had just expressed that, you know? It was like he right. found a form of music that he listened to when he needed to show his anger and his rage at what was going on in the world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, thank you. Yeah, it's... it's um, we don't talk about that either. We don't talk about... Um, because as a black person, you cannot show anger or rage. Uh-huh. You cannot be upset. You cannot be mad. You cannot... Because then it's taken as hostile. Uh-huh. You know? Um... And that was the thing that I wanted to explore. Um, me and a few of the dancers went to New York in January, and we were on the train going back to Brooklyn. And this guy got on the train, and he was a black guy. And there were some addiction issues. There were some other issues going on. And it struck me how I, I said, when did he stop loving the world, and when did the world stop loving him? Mm. Um, and the thing about it is, like, you look at this guy and people be like, oh, he's mentally ill. But he was probably one of the most intelligent people on that train. Nothing that he said was a lie. But uh-huh. his rage and his anger, because the world was not fair to him, it showed up so much. And I was just, I was fascinated by that. And still to this day of, like, why can't we be angry? Why do we mm-hmm. always have to apologize? We have to apologize for our existence. Um, we have to show love when love is not shown to us. Because if not, we understand that our bodies will be treated with some type of hostility. Mm-hmm. And so um, showing rage is an extremely important part of this piece. Um, and it comes up several different ways. It, it, it had to be a part of this piece. It had to be about, that's our reality, that's our, our truth. So, yeah, this is important. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, like that, the part that expressing joy and crying, because, you know, like, if you express too much joy or even too mm-hmm. much um, feelings where you're moved to tears, that... Right. Uh, that that's seen often as a, a form of weakness or something or something that you should suppress, you know, yeah. and it's like, but how do you do that? How do you express joy and, you know, like, okay, well, we shouldn't be too happy, you know, it's like, so if we're really happy about something, you know, when often, and I'll tell you, well, I've heard people like the joy that many people have seen, have expressed seeing Black Panther, then then it's sort of like trivialized and not getting that right. whole why, you know, why people would be joyous about seeing this film. 
And another film is like where it's like with Moonlight, where it was right. able to show a a tenderness. Right. Know, and that's okay. Right. That that's something else that we that we are exploring within black boys is black male intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um yet again, something that we're not supposed to express because we are labeled as gay or queer or something's wrong with us. But this idea of like, I need black male intimacy and intimacy Uh does not equate to sex. Um, I need to be able to put my hand on another man's knee just for comfort. Mm. Um, one thing that I love about the process of what we do in Black Boys is that we begin and end each rehearsal hugging everybody, hugging everybody mm-hmm. hello, and hugging everybody goodbye. Um, mm-hmm. We begin and end the process in a circle, holding hands with each other, and just centering ourselves. Joy is a part of this process. Us being in that room together as black people in Seattle, and I, it's very rare that I met a non-black person in the room. Um, mm-hmm. That's a form of resistance. I've had so many people like, can I just come see what's going on in rehearsal? Well, no, you can't because it's not mm-hmm. a space for you. If you are a non-black person, I can't let you into this space. And if I do, I have to get permission from the cast because everyone has to be on board. If one person says no, then nobody's coming into the space because we understand that our, our joy lives in that space. Our joy lives in the fact that we get to be together in that space as black folk. And we don't have to explain certain things. We don't have to talk about certain things. We don't have to over-intellectualize anything. We get to explore what it is to be intimate with each other in our thoughts, in our bodies, in our minds. It's so awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh- how, I mean, like to me, I mean, I, I can just, like I said, you know, if there's a way, I would be there, you know, beam me up, you know. Yeah. How, right. how that come together? What has been the reception for this? I know, I mean, who did you get, it takes money to do this, who did you get funding from? Who is supporting you? Did these other choreographers in the area, do they get what you're doing and are they supportive? Um. So I'm working with a, a theater presenting company called On the Boards, and I've actually been doing things with them for four seasons. Um, mm-hmm. I've been an ambassador, which means is that I'm just a community liaison between the theater company and the community. Um, I presented um, work with them at least, I think, twice prior to Black Boys. So I've been with them for a while, and I've, that's one of the companies I've been asking questions about. You talk about diversity, what does that look like? And we've had some really hard conversations, and the thing I love about working with them in that capacity is that they allowed me to bring them to task. They allowed me to question them, and through this process, working better to make sure that the diversity and the equity happens within the company. So. Um, through some of their funding, um, I, Black Voice was funded. I did a Kickstarter campaign, which that was funded mm-hmm. um, successfully. Um, the artists that have supported the work financially, um, 
I think everybody's excited about the work in Seattle. One, because of the cast that I have. They are just super dope artists by themselves. Individually, mm-hmm. they all create work. Um, and to see us all together in one space, it's super powerful for everybody because out of the eight dancers, they all have very different energy. Mm. Um, but they work so well together. And then we have Jay Mace, who is the head writer. Then we have a muralist, Roach the muralist, and we have Ben Hunter, who's creating the music. So to have all of those elements in place, um, people are just excited, and they're excited to see local black people in dance working together, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. rare to never happens in this city unless it's a youth company. Mm-hmm. So how people you, are excited. How did you pull in, like, you know, you've got Jay Mace who's writing, you've got uh, someone who's a muralist. How did you find all these people and, and you know, share your vision with them about what you wanted to do and did they immediately get it and I I feel that they did um yes everyone got it when I started speaking about it um I was pretty much I pretty much had a relationship with everyone that I asked to be a part of this project Mm -hmm. that's another way that I, I like to work is that I like to have relationships with people um, prior to working with them. Um, Roach was probably the one that I had the least relationship with. He came um, to Seattle a year and a half ago, and he and I met because we did this show, and I met him actually playing, the, he was playing the harmonica, and I'm like, oh, you're dope. And I thought that's what he did. And he's like, no, I'm actually a muralist. And then wow. he's actually, he's actually uh, uh, a cowboy. He went to school, <laughs> And mm-hmm. got his degree in equestrian studies. So he's a black cowboy, which is really wow. fascinating within itself, uh-huh. yes. And he actually did, he worked um, in, I believe, uh, Saginaw or some, not Saginaw, he worked somewhere up north for a while in Michigan. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he's, from, he's from New York. So he was the one I had the least relationship with. I had a relationship and have a relationship with uh, Jay Mace the third. Ben Hunter and the dancers. The only dancer I didn't have a real strong relationship. His name is Kyle Bernbach, um, but we knew each other within the community, and so that was that was it. You just ask, and it's so funny. They said yes. Everyone said yes, and I was terrified that they would say no because I'm like, they're super dope and they're super awesome, and they wouldn't want to work with little old me. And then they're turning around and they're like. You asked us to work with you. Yes, we're going to do that. So it was just, it's a mutual love and respect and admiration that we have for each other. Um, that's how it happened. I, I, I wanted to work with people that I had a relationship with mm-hmm. and that I admired as artists and that would bring themselves to this project. I didn't want to work with a, bu- a bunch of people that thought they would do what they think I, I wanted them to do. How long did it take for you to, I know you've been in rehearsals, I know there had to be a number of writing, and how long did it take for it to all come together to where you got to the rehearsal stage, and after the opening in Seattle, do you have plans on taking it on the road? Um, (laughs) 
we are still in the process of working through things. Um, and that's just, that's, that's just the process. Like, we're almost there, and we know that we're not quite there yet. Um, and a lot of it is just questions that we all have. I think this, this work is a continual thing about questions. It was really mm-hmm. great because Marquise brought up something in rehearsal. He said, I was going back over stuff that you said a while ago, and this element is missing. And I'm like, yes, it is. And how do we get to that element? So that was something, a new discovery. Mm-hmm. I'm like, let's go back to something that was said a while ago because he felt that that was important to bring up, which it so was important to bring up that we forgot about. So now we have to go and rediscover what that is. Um, so we're always in the, you know, I, I think it will always be a work in progress up until the opening, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, and, and, you know, you're going to have this post-show conversation. And I can even yes. envision that from a conversation after people have seen it that you might even think like, hmm, you know, we, maybe we need to, to do something more with it. Right, right. Yeah, um, the, it would be great to tour it. Like one of my dreams is actually to bring my work to Detroit and where my work is at now because um, mm-hmm. I really haven't presented the work that I do now in Detroit for pretty much 10 years um Mm. and i've evolved and i've changed um as a person and that's one of my dreams is to bring it to me to detroit um we're going to meet with some folks and we have some people coming out who are hopefully interested in touring it around and applying for grants so hopefully it will get out there to the public um Mm -hmm. outside of seattle hopefully it'll get out there soon um so that's the plan I, you know, every every time we meet, there is just a new discovery. Every time we've had people view the work um, and where it's at now, they've brought up questions and thoughts and ideas that we didn't even think about. Mm-hmm. Um, it was brought up to me um, recently that a white person was talking to one of the cast members, and they were like, well, there's biracial people in, in the in this cast, so what do they think about doing this work? And it didn't even dawn on me, like, one, why would you ask that question? Because Mm -hmm. they said yes to be in the work, so they understand what the work is about. But um, the person explained to me, it's like, as a white person, they're trying to find their way into this work. That's right. And it's almost like by saying biracial, they want to deny the blackness and open the door for themselves. Yes. And I'm like, we've had conversations with the biracial folks in the cast, and they understand that this work is speaking about an experience that they're either had had themselves or they're discovering. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's coming into this work, I believe, because they need to discover something about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, the the opening piece is called He Died, and I, I believe, like, something has to die inside of people that said yes to this work in order for something else to live. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So I can't really speak for them, but it's just like they know what they're getting into. They know what we're talking about. So why would you ask how are they doing inside of this work? They're doing great. And when you walk right. into that spot, okay, when they're walking down that street, someone right. might, might come up like they are 
biracial, but the first thing they, they see is that black face. You know, exactly. Brown, you know, they see that, you know, so it's sort of like, right. it is it's totally different. Yeah, and I, yes, I've been telling people consistently, I was like, this is my love letter to blackness and to our black bodies. This piece is not for non-black people. You can come and witness the piece. You can come and enjoy the piece. I'm not saying don't come. I'm not saying don't enjoy it. But understand that this is not for you to dissect, mm-hmm. to pick apart, which I know it will happen. Mm-hmm. But it's not for you. So don't try to take ownership of it. You know? yeah. And I realize like people do that all the time. It's like I need to own this thing because, you know, well, it's in this white institution, and that's a predominantly cult here, so this piece is for me. Well, it's not. You may connect to something in this piece, and you may connect to something really strong in this piece, but at the end of the day, it is not for you. Yeah. Well, you know what? And, and that's what I like. I mean, you really like it because, you know, what is it? Even in Solange, they have that one... Um, she has that one piece where there's an interlude, and they said that if you don't understand it, then, you know, it's not for you. You know, it just isn't yes. for you. Everything is not for everybody. And, you know, and right. she said, we have always had to be okay sitting with things that we recognize aren't for us, but it happens in this world. And that's what people have to do. Right. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, get over yourself, you know. I, right. I, I you know. Well, I hope that you bring it to Detroit, or yes. if you do it again in Seattle, and I get to Seattle. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I get to Seattle. So you've been, I mean, I'm still, you know, getting over the fact that you've been in Seattle for 10 years. Yes. Okay. And I know, I mean, because just the other day I talked to Renee McCoy, who's from Detroit yes. and who's now in Seattle and back and forth. And yes. Like, do you see Danny and Maya? She's oh, all the time. You've had 10 years, and from being that place where at first it was like, you know, you had to come back and get your Detroit fix. Right. How have you, how have you made it home? Because often, you know, I'll talk to young people, and the prospect of, like, you know, well, maybe what you need to do is follow your dream, and it will take you this, and they go like, oh, I could never leave. I wouldn't feel right. But right. You got there. You've adjusted. How do you feel about Seattle now? Is it home? Honestly, Detroit's home. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I mm-hmm. someone said it perfectly. Uh, they were introducing me to someone there. Like, oh, this is Danny. They're from. He's from Detroit. Um, and the and the person was like, "How long have you been here for ten years?" And they're like, "Oh, you're a Seattle like." And the person was like, "Oh no." Danny's a Detroiter. Don't get it twisted. Like, uh-huh. he's lived out here for 10 years, but Danny's a Detroiter. Um, Seattle, I don't ever feel, how can I put this? It is not home. It is a place where I have grown as an artist. It is a place where I've met some of my long-term friends. It is a place where I've been loved and accepted. But it's also, for me, what else is out there in the world? Mm-hmm. We are so isolated. We are in the Northwest, and we get things late. I mean, I know with the Internet, that's, like, crazy to say that, but there are just some things, like, artistically that we get late or we're a little bit behind on. Um, 
their conversations, their people, there are things that we consistently <clears throat> miss out on living in the Northwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is not home for me because there's something of, about being around black people and not having to explain anything that is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think the last time that we were in Detroit was in September for a wedding. And we went to, um, oh, I forgot the name of the place. But it was Labor Day weekend. We went out to this outside party. They were playing house music on one side and hip-hop on the other side. It was so beautiful to be around that many black folks and black women dancing and moving my body, and I didn't have to explain anything. I didn't feel like my body was being attacked. Um, I didn't have any ignorant people do things to my body. Um, The language that was spoken without actually using words within my blackness, I got every bit of my life. Uh And Uh I realized I need to be around that energy. Yes, there are black people in Seattle, it's a very different energy. And there's a group of us that are trying to, like, shift that energy and make it something more familiar. There's something beautiful about being within community with people, and you don't have to explain anything. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so is it home? No. Where life will take us next, we don't know. Has Seattle been great to me? Of course. I would never say it hasn't. Um, but I know, like, I have the itching of, like, okay, what's next? I want to explore something else, you know. But I've made a life out here for 10 years, so I can't discount that whatsoever. Um, and I made a really great life for myself. So definitely not, like, throwing shade on that, but I, I want something else now. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think, that it, I think that it goes both ways. You know, like, what you've learned and stuff – there's things like that that I think it's really important that you come back here periodically and that you talk to. I really hope that black boys one day comes to Detroit and yeah. and people from here see that because there's such important things that you talk about and that need to be put in. You know, I had talked with um, Eric Darnell Pritchard and we were talking about literacy. Uh-huh. You know, literacy has always been like so... Right, it's like being able to read and write. But there are things that as black people that mm-hmm. we have our own form of literacy. And to be yes. able, black boys to me is a way that without, there are some words, but through motion, through seeing it, through the art of it, that right. we're saying something to each other that we will get. And, it's, and, and it will lead to conversations that we need to have, particularly at this point in time. Exactly. Yeah, um, it, it's so funny as you talked about literacy. Um, before a step was even uttered, I had done so much reading. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, just uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, and there's a book called Black Boy Feelings. Like, um, mm-hmm. I did so much reading, Claudia Rankin, her book, um, just to understand what is it that I'm trying to say. Um, articles on Khalif Broder, um, and understanding the emotion behind that. Like, I use my body to tell stories, but understanding, like, the words were so powerful, and how does that manifest within my body when I started mm-hmm. creating the step. So, yeah, it's, it's, 
what I love about this piece in particular is that it incorporates all forms of, many forms of black art, not all forms, but many forms of black art through the murals, through the music, through the written word, through the dance. I wanted to make sure that happened because we are not a monolith. We are so broad in the way that we approach things. Um, and I hope people, when they view this piece, that they understand the emotion behind that, that our emotional landscape is so broad. It's part of our history that we yeah. had music, we had dance, we had, we've always had ways, even from back in slavery, you know, where people right. made quilts to tell people how to get free, yes. where we had a way where if that mother looks at you, you know, and someone was talking about right. something, and, they said, and you know, she took that turkey leg and waved right. that point at me, <laughs> and I knew exactly what they meant. It's part of yes. our truth. Yes. It's part of our truth and our culture. You know? Yes, and we're so, storytellers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, no, we Danny, I mean, yes. it has been so great talking to you. Yes, um, it has. And, and don't you come into Detroit again without letting me know, you know, so I can do I know. Yeah, we, we come in for quick trips. We're like, okay, we got to do the thing. Hey, we got to go. Uh -huh. Like, uh -huh. yes. But we, we try, you know, we're going to do better <laughs> to let uh -huh. people know we're in town. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Well, like I said, I want to thank you for being with me today, this afternoon and talking about the work that you do and the dance. I think it's really important. And thank you. I will be following you. You know that. Yes. Thank you for having me on the show. It was great. Well, you go and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Good luck. Thank you. I, I'm about your opening. I want to hear about it and the conversation yes. afterwards. We'll probably have to talk again about it. Yes, we will. Okay, Danny. Well, thank you. All right. Thank you, Michelle. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. I want to thank today's guest, dance artist, performer, choreographer and dance educator Danny Terrell. His latest work, Black Boys, premiered recently for a limited engagement at On the Boards in Seattle. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Be sure and like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic for a future show. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.